Hi, I'm Naomi Castro, and this is the Castro Pod. This season, I talk with college and nonprofit leaders who are new to the job. Transitions, changes, and we could use a change. These folks are transitioning during a pandemic. Since season one was released, we have been distancing socially and learning remotely for about a year. So there's some extra sauce on the table. Let's make a meal of it. I met Dr. Jack Kahn at a punk rock show 35 years ago, and we've been dear friends ever since. And although our orbits have changed since then, we always manage to circle back. During the pandemic, Jack became interim president at Palomar College in Southern California. Since we recorded our conversation, Jack has stepped back into his role as associate superintendent and vice president of instruction. We talk about his preparation for and his approach to leadership. Well, Jack Khan, Dr. Khan, President Khan, thank you so much. And so for full disclosure, for folks listening to this, we actually did this interview back in September. And here we are in December redoing it because... I'm really slow because podcasting is like my extra fun thing that I do. Mm-hmm. But also we had some technical difficulties and the sound wasn't so great. Um, but but I felt I felt that I could ask you to redo this because we've known each other for how many? 35 years? I don't um, I can't I have to think how old I am. It's probably yeah, five years. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, well, okay, so I'm 50. It's 2020, the last month of 2020. Mm -hmm. And I think I knew you when I first started driving. So that would be. Yeah, uh, when you're about 16-ish. When I was about 16, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Back in Arizona. Yes. We had this amazing group of friends who were all involved in the music scene and budding activism. And we were you know, like learning together. And it was, it was, it was pretty, it was a pretty awesome time. Yeah. It was our training grounds for our future uh, social justice work. It really was. Yeah, it really was. Mm-hmm. And the, and the folks that we're, I was friends with from that, we were friends with from that time. I think we're still friends with. Yeah. Almost most, all of them. most, if not all. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. What a beautiful group of people. Well, mm-hmm. cool. Well, I wanted to kind of jump into some of these questions because. Sure. I didn't only ask you to be on this season and also the first interview, uh, kind of redo uh, of this <laughs> season, um, because I've known you for so long, um, but also because I'm really focusing this season on folks who are new to executive presidential CEO leadership mm-hmm. positions. And also I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to some folks who are either recently retired or about to retire. Um, oh, so interesting. Yeah, to have yeah. the contrast or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because they're different places, right? And mm-hmm. we know some different stuff. But but your um, your transition to leadership was a bit unexpected um, mm-hmm. right before the whole shelter in place. So like the weirdest time ever, right? Um, right before the whole shelter in place, you were uh, appointed um, uh, president at Palomar College, and then since then you've become interim. And so n- normally, when you're you know seeking a presidency, sure. um, you you like you prepare for it. You you do a wide search. You have some, mm-hmm. you have a plan, right? Yeah. But this was this was a bit of a surprise. So so how did you prepare for it? 
You know, um, so yeah, as you said, I was acting first for a couple months and then um, had the opportunity to apply for the interim position. They, they cast that internally only. Um, and so, yeah, so it was awkward. So I wasn't at that time thinking about that. But, you know, I, I think as we, and I'm only going to say this once because I can see in my head, as we talked about last time, you know, it's like no one's heard the last <laughs> one except you and I. Except so. Us. Right. So that's not that useful. But I would, I'm going to kind of put it in stages. So first, as we think about, I do think uh, I've had the opportunity to have a lot of different leadership opportunities all the way through. Certainly not this one. And I wasn't explicitly thinking, what are, what's PD I should be doing to prepare for this at this point? So, but I do think, you know, as you mentioned, uh, our early teenage years, having the opportunity to um, have a lot of the same conversations that are that are happening now on our college campuses. Um, and so having been able to have those conversations as a younger person and have the opportunity to develop through some of those uh, kinds of things, uh, I think has really helped me be in this position. So, you know, when we talk about safe spaces or we talk about, you know, wanting to support people you know, who are different than you in some significant way and want space away from you, you know, and that's not a new conversation for me at 19. And I was kind of defensive about it. And, and, it, and it took, you know, <laughs> I think having those kind of a time has, you know, some of it's maybe just you get older and you're not as defensive, but I do think there's, you know, I have had a, a lot of very purposeful leadership opportunities and collaborations, for example, around anti-racism and anti-sexism kind of work. So I think that has been very helpful along the way. And certainly I can give some more specific examples or you and I can, you know, reminisce about some of the ones we both were involved with. Uh, and of course, you know, as, uh, you know, when I, when I applied for the vice president positions, uh, I did do a ton of professional development and, and I did actually through ACA. I don't know if you've done any of that work before, but I did a bunch of those things and you know, interviewed people and certainly at least preparing for that position. Um, I did do a lot of training and talking to people, et cetera. And then once I got into this position specifically, uh, I did do uh, two of the CCLC trainings, uh, you know, in terms, and they do same kind of thing, like new presidents or new interims, et cetera. And I also have been, and I don't remember if I mentioned this last time, I've been meeting monthly with Sunny Cook at Miracosta. So she's been like my unofficial official, I hope I'm not in trouble for, <laughs> I think I'm okay <laughs> mentioning it, but just as a, you know, to touch base with someone local who's amazing. And, you know, she's such a great mentor. And even in the, you know, seven months or so, we meet monthly. I wish it was over coffee, but it is over Zoom. And, you know, I come with a list of questions and things, you know, I'm kind of, you know, have questions about. And then, you know, uh, we just kind of talk through things and also just kind of catching each other up because we're neighboring colleges, obviously. So I think those things have been really helpful. And the rest of it has just been trial by fire. I mean, nobody was really prepared for the pandemic. And certainly I've gone through EOC trainings and safety trainings. But I, I think the having had a, a lot of very good supervision in the past and, and leadership that supported me and wanted me to improve and uh, was very helpful. I think our early career in social justice and certainly leadership throughout my life. And then more recently, these, the CCLC trainings and uh, this mentorship, I'm, you know, I'm still looking for other things. So I'm constantly on the look for, you know, 
what else can I learn? But I do think I can see a difference from a year ago. So it's been almost a year that I've been in some kind of acting interim quasi something. Uh, And I can see a significant shift in my confidence and ability and learning. So I think I've learned a lot over the year, still obviously a ton to learn and will continue to look to leaders that have been doing it, that have a lot to offer. So um, yeah. That was, that was great. That was great. And I, one thing that's been coming up over and over again in the past, as well as in interviews I'm doing for this season is the, the importance of mentorship and mm-hmm. that kind of network, right? Just to have someone you can just, who knows what you're going through and, yeah. and can tell you, you know, hey, and you need I to have this. that space. Don't do that. That was a right. And this, I think the big piece of it is just the space for honesty and trust. And, you know, when I was applying for VPI positions, you know, I was in a dean of social behavioral sciences. I'm very comfortable in the social behavioral sciences as an, you know, a, a expert in that discipline myself. But then when you talk about president, you have to know all this stuff about, you know, non in career tech. I mean, we had some career tech and social behavior, but it's pretty traditional transfer area, you know? And so I really was able to, actually, I worked a lot with um, some deans at LA City College uh, through the ACA program, the deans and the former VP there. And it was great because I could just sit down with people like, look, I don't really quite understand non-credit, not for credit, how it works, how it's, you know, and you could have that conversation and just be upfront and open and it wasn't, there's no judgment. There's no, you know, so I think those mentoring spaces really help create that. And it's hard to get that because as you know, you know, most of these systems are not very good about supporting and training people and keeping them you know, we, we often get defensive and reactive when people don't know things, but then when you go, okay, how much explicit structured training have you offered these employees in ABC or that, you know, and usually, you know, from an institutional perspective, the answer is like, uh, not that much. It's like, well then, so everything is on every individual to figure out what, you know, so I think as systems, we really fail in that way. So creating these structured kinds of things, you know, is just really helpful. And the um, whole idea of having overlap where an outgoing, say, vice president, for example, is mm-hmm. training the incoming vice president, that is almost non-existent. Right? Almost non-existent. In fact, it's it's interesting because, as you might know, we're in the process of Palomar rebuilding our executive team. So we, um, knock on wood, will have two new permanents, uh, vice presidents for next month on the board agenda. And we did uh, plan... And on figure, you know, our plan, at least in theory, is to have some overlap between the interims that are there now and the new people. Now, of course, you can't part of the part of the thing, part of the what gets in the way is you can't have two people with the same title at the same time, you know. So that's part of the issue, um, right? <laughs> Naomi is rolling her eyes, you know. So um, <laughs> you can't hear that, but you can maybe we'll hear the sarcasm that comes next. Um, but we're trying to figure out a way to bring them in in a different capacity because to be an institution during a pandemic to not have some, you know, it's bad enough during like regular times, but to not have some kind of warm handoff and, you know, here's what we're working on. Here's the difficulties, you know, from someone that's been, it's just absurd. So, um, yeah. And those are just rules that we make up. Yes, they are just rules. They're not passed down as far as I know from some deities or something. We (laughs) humans made them and humans can unmake them. So I'm with you. Absolutely. Well, so I am going to make a note that um, we dropped a lot of uh, uh, acronyms there. 
So mm. I'll put those in the show notes. Thank but, you. Um, CCLC Community College League of California, um, amazing organization. Yeah, really um, EOC. Oh, Emergency Operations Center. There I you was go. Thinking of this, um, yeah, the specifics around the pandemic and all that yeah. stuff. And ACA. So it's the Association for Community College Administrators. Perfect. It's the most, it's one of the worst sounding acronyms. <laughs> it's like, ah, you know, uh, but also <laughs> great, great organization. Yeah, they are. You yeah. know, um, again, really, f- I'm, I have really good colleagues that I met, have met through that organization. Every president who, or vice president who's mentioned ACA has mentioned them in such a positive Oh yeah, such way. nice people. They do a really good job of just really uh, recruiting kind and bright people that make you feel welcome and stuff. It's great. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Well, you did, you also mentioned, you mentioned your roots in social and behavioral sciences Mm -hmm. and you, um, you were a a professor at a four year, you've been a clinical psychologist, right? Yeah. My, uh, officially my, my doctorate is in counseling psychology, but the um, overlap between those two areas has, over time, increasingly become not that much different. So it's, yeah. they're very similar. So, but a clinical place, like you were dealing with people in crisis. I, yeah. I mean, you know, my original, when I, you know, when I was young, my original idea, like a lot of folks in my field was to, you know, complete the doctorate, get a position in a university, do research, teach, have a private practice, et cetera. And certainly there are people that do that. But I found that when I went out, as soon as I started teaching, and it may just, I think some of it's just my own level of expectation of myself, but I just didn't see how I could possibly do all those things. So when I started, and I love teaching. And so when I started getting into it, I just at that point decided I'm going to focus on teaching and research because I just don't see how I'm going to have a private practice on top of this because I'm so like very busy with those two things, writing research and teaching. Um, But that was my original hope was to do clinical work on the side. And you also wrote an amazing text uh, uh, on masculinities. Can you give us the exact title? Sure. Um, Yeah, it's called An Introduction to Masculinities. So it was during my sabbatical uh, my, my one lovely sabbatical I had when I was tenured faculty way back then. Yeah, I did a, I, I wanted to do, um, I've always been very interested in um, feminist work and, and anti-sexist work. And I was teaching a class in uh, masculinity. And I also occasionally taught our psychology of women course, but particularly in the area of masculinity at the time, I felt that the texts were so not approachable for undergraduate students. And because they were just, you know, much like you did very nicely, just, you know, um, explaining acronyms. I mean, the jargon is just so steep, you know, and, you know, I would have students just like, I can't even understand what the title of this chapter means. Never mind, you know, so it's just like, this is really not good. So I just thought it'd be really cool to try to approach you know, the concepts from a more down-to-earth folksy style and still have it, you know, a textbook that kind of covers very heavy uh, theory-based and kind of research perspectives on masculinity studies, but in in a more folksy way that people could maybe relate to. So, uh, And and what year did that come out? I'm not trying to make you feel old. (laughs) uh, Well, that's okay. Yeah, I'm feeling older every day these days. Um, Gosh, let me think. I think 2000... 13. I'm going to look it up while we're talking. I can't even remember, honestly. Okay, cool. Well, um, but the, the reason I bring that up is because especially sometimes with colleagues or with my students, because um, I, I teach at Compton College, 
um, they might have this idea that uh, uh, masculinity is plural, um, so multiple ways of being mm-hmm. masculine, um, especially in, in you know encompassing such a, a broad spectrum. Um, that that that's a new idea, and I guess I mean in some ways it is. Um, but you know, I, I just really just appreciate that you are, and I would expect nothing else that you were talking about and explaining um, multiple ways of being masculine that were incredibly inclusive of so many different expressions. Um, you oh, know, thank and, you. Yeah. And if the book came out in 2013, that means you were working on it fairly. Well, many years before that. Yeah. So let me see. Um, you can get it for $6 used people. I mean, that's a deal right there. Okay. Um, uh, gosh, why I should know these things, right? I should be memorizing all this before these interviews. I'll, I'll give it to you before we're done. But yeah. And it's interesting because I think with younger people in general, I've noticed this that now that I am not one, uh, there is always this kind of idea that each, the, the, each generation created its own thing. So, you know, it's, it, I love seeing enthusiasm around these issues now. And it's funny because sometimes you're like, oh yeah, this, you, we need to have this one author because they're doing X and Y. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the same thing as so-and-so did back in 82, which is probably the same thing as somebody did in the sixties, you know? Um, and so, you know, many of the concepts I think are, you know, through social science and anthropology and certainly looking at world cultures, a lot of these things really are, were developed in other places. And occasionally there are, I think, radical ideas that, that, that move beyond, you know, the, the, these things. And um, I hope that my book has a couple things in it that weren't already done 30 years before, but uh, I do think that it, 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 some of that is just people don't know, you know, yeah. uh, you know, like, um, I was talking to a colleague about some of the work that we were doing on campus, you know, and they made some comment about, about, um, I'm not sure how that exactly how they said it, but it was sort of like a, oh, is this, you know, work, are, did you get interested in this work because of this affinity with this other person I knew, you know, that I'd met, you know, maybe met 10 years ago, you know, and I was just thinking, well, it, it's just interesting that the assumption is it's modern. And it's not old. Maybe that's a, you know, maybe I don't look as old as I am. I'm, you know, I don't think that's it, but, you know, it's like, well, they don't know that actually I was, you know, doing protests and I was interested in indigenous rights when I was 16, you know, it doesn't mean that all that work was done well and, and wasn't always done with a, you know, a, the, uh, the best lens on privilege, et cetera, but, you know, we were learning, but I think there is just that kind of, you know, and, and I, I think we were the same, right. We thought like we created this, it's like, well, kind totally. of, yeah. <laughs> you know, actually, <laughs> have you heard of Maya Angelou? Have you heard of, you know, whomever else that kind of, you know, um, so, uh, but yeah, but I do think that for masculinity studies, it hasn't, the, and even still uh, doesn't have as much uh, visibility in terms of that, the concept that, you know, you can understand masculinity from various perspectives, that feminism and masculinity studies are completely logically integrated and, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know how pervasive that is, you know, mm-hmm. still, but of course I've been an administrator for a while. So maybe our faculty colleagues are like rolling their eyes like, yeah, well, let me tell you where the field's gone in the last nine years or whatever. So, and I'm sure it has. So. And I, so, and I so appreciate like when I, when I interact around different kinds of issues like this with my students, not, 
appreciate their fresh takes on oh, issues yeah. Yeah. and appreciate their kind of pushing boundaries and ideas. And it's just, it, I, I feel like it just really helps to keep me uh, oh, for on, sure. On my toes and happy mm-hmm. and young. And <laughs> mm-hmm. and there definitely are. I didn't, yeah, and I certainly don't mean to imply that there aren't fresh takes, but I think sometimes it's just a, because uh, absolutely there are. And, and, and different ways of looking at some of the same, you know, same concerns. So, and it's exciting. And it's an exciting time. It really is. Yeah. But actually, I believe it or not, I went down that social studies, psychology, counseling uh, rabbit hole to ask if, if any of that kind of helped for the transition to shelter in place, because you were like brand new, Hey, Mm. you're the president at the moment. And um, (laughs) by the way, you have to close your entire campus. Mm -hmm. So, so how did you, like, what were your operating principles when you went through that? How did you, how did you deal with that? So I do think it, you know, I think, and certainly I think some of it is, you know, perhaps from the studying, but a lot of it is just, you know, maybe where my ideology is. So I think first of it, first it was, you know, as I said, you know, I've gone through safety trainings and I knew the kind of the basic structure of the emergency operations center team, you know, but it's very different to kind of get the manual and go through that. And then all of a sudden, okay, you're in charge of the policy wing of the emergency center (laughs) team. What are we doing? You know? And uh, so I think some of the, some of the things that really influenced it first was, uh, Try not to, well, let, let's start with the most important thing for me, the health and safety of our community was, has, has been, and will be not, you know, the most important thing. One of my little broken record things I kept kind of touting out during this whole, whole process is, you know, I think in life, we all have these ideas about one day there's going to be this crisis and we need to be prepared. And at that time, we need to be able to do X and Y and, and be creative and, and use our resources in different ways. And even though I felt like that time had come, people were still not wanting to do those things. You know, it's much like when you look at, and, and I'll be a little critical of our federal uh, handling of these issues. It's like, we haven't seen a, a, a crisis like this in this country ever. And yet somehow the federal government isn't at like red flags, like, okay, rent payments stop this. I mean, there, there should have been a, oh my God, there's nothing like this. We need to work together and make this, you know, COVID is our enemy, not other American, you know, and just kind of raise up to that level of what's this, the thing you've been waiting for, that's going to be the craziest crisis. And we have all these resources. This is it. This is now. So you know, I think I really kind of embodied that in my leadership style because sometimes people would still revert back, but those are this and we shouldn't, I'm like, no, this is that time. <laughs> this is that crisis. So um, we're going to make sure that we, you know, and so our campus has been very um, conservative when it comes to health stuff and, you know, what we're offering face-to-face and what we're doing uh, from the beginning, uh, prioritizing health and safety. So I think, you know, uh, and, and not, I don't mean that in a glib way, because I know that's a little bit of a generic, we prioritize health and safety. Of course you do, but I really do believe we did and have, you know. So that's number one. I think number two, uh, my training in, in, in my area is as a data nerd. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a social scientist. I follow data and research and I listen to experts. And so, um, you know, 
I trust our nurses. I trust our doctors. You know, it doesn't mean that all nurses agree at the same, you know, you can't get into, well, there's that one nurse that on 78th street that says coronavirus is a hoax and she's a nurse. You said you listen to nurses. It's like, okay, that's, that's not what I'm meaning. I'm, you know, and so, you know, I think also making it clear to the campus that in, in the county, you know, we're going to work with our local um, epidemiologists from UCSD. We're going to listen to our scientists. We're going to listen to our women scientists. Um, you know, and, you know, who happen to be really um, actually black women scientists in this area who really were leading the uh, organization in charge around a lot of this issue. And so I think, you know, uh, prioritizing health and safety, prioritizing data and research, listening to science, listening to women, uh, you know, uh, those were, you know, definitely major tenets of, you know, how we've handled the pandemic. And um, I think also, you know, then coming from the kind of social science side, I mean, I try to do everything with seriousness and care. I mean, I think that's always been my, you know, uh, go-to. So even when we were kids, when we would do projects, it was like, you know, we want to talk about apartheid and it's horrible but we want to get together and make awesome food and homebrewed beer and um, be together and take care of each other at the same time. And what are we going to do about this horrible thing? And so I've really tried to work with my colleagues and to have that same kind of culture that, you know, this is serious, but we need to take care of each other during it, you know, and, and find times for being silly and find times for, you know, good food, six, you know, six feet apart, you know, not, no, no big meetings or whatever. And, you know, our, our faculty, our staff, our unions have, they've been tremendous. I mean, both of our unions did a big food drive throughout the whole uh, uh, stay at home order that they coordinated with another union down in San Diego, super proactive around that. Our faculty, of course, like faculty across the country, have, you know, um, gone through all the training and 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 improvements around distance education. Our staff working from home and and all all the new innovations of like how are we going to do this? You know, we and Palomar, I think, like a lot of institutions, we were behind during regular time. So now we're all online. It's like holy crud. I mean, we don't have ways to do this. So, and you know, people were just so creative, and so so I think. You know, I really tried to set the expectation, like, we're going to do this, and we're going to do it in a caring way. Now you tell me how, and you guys are the geniuses, and, you know, and so, and I think we really have managed really, really well. And, you know, like other colleges, you know, we had people with case, you know, with cases. Fortunately, I'm knocking on wood. Uh, you know, we were able to avoid any outbreaks all semester. Um, you know, Monday's our last day. So hopefully that'll continue through then. But a lot of that is because of, you know, the decisions that we made, the structures we put in place. And then the last part I'll add here and then stop is humility. You know, um, we made mistakes. We, you know, about two months in, I didn't realize like how stressed some, you know, cause you've got people who are like, you know, we're all have our regular job during the pandemic. And then we have the emergency center stuff, which is every day. I mean, the emergency center, center, ours was meeting every day and pretty much still meets every day. Policy team meets every day. What's happening, you know, going through and there's constant issues, you know, and, you know, we didn't realize a couple months in that, you know, the, the stress level that, you know, people were experiencing. And then it's like, okay, we got to, we got to fix this. We, you know, and we, you know, and just even the forms that we use and the process to request, you know, so I think it was a, 
you know, this is not going to be perfect and it's okay that it isn't. Let's not be, let's just be responsible for when the mis- And I would just say, everybody, we're making mistakes. It's happening. You know, I, and I made one already this morning. Another one's going to happen tomorrow. Don't worry about that. That's going to happen. Let's just be responsible for when the mistake is made. We get back together. We fix it. We improve it. We move on. So, and that's what's been happening. Through, you know, and then and there are those moments where it's like, oh, you know, we didn't realize it was just, okay, this is it. This is that mistake we've been waiting for. Here it is, you know, um, you know, not to make a mockery of it, but that's how it is in a crisis, right? So um, get back together, come up with a plan, you know, work it out. So uh, overall, I think having the, the, t- the, you know, kind of a data research nerd kind of background uh, and also a social science care kind of background, I think is, has been very helpful for me. And expressing, you know, expressing that to others. We started doing, um, we have a weekly COVID-19 update that we do to campus and we have all of our section chiefs that update the campus on what's going on. You know, so we do uh, the health area. We have a behavioral health, and then our uh, nurse practitioners will do an update kind of in the region. This is what we're seeing, you know, kind of, you know, um, and then all the different section chiefs at the college talk about operations, fiscal issues, you know, so, you know, if you wanted to be up to date, we, I, you know, we were extremely communicative throughout the whole thing. I mean, uh, once a week, and we always had at least a hundred people on that Zoom call, wow. hundred to two hundred. You know, it was two hundred at first. Um, more recently, it's been more like 100, 110, but never under a hundred. Um, and so we started maybe six months or so ago. Um, after we did the updates, we had them scheduled for an hour and they usually took about a half an hour ish. So I started doing goofy things. Like I'm like, okay. Um, and I would pull something like, um, I have a wrath of Khan bobblehead next to my desk, you know, and this is why I have this here. And, you know, I would, does anyone else have anything like goofy that, you know, and then people would just start sharing, you know, just to kind of do something else to take our minds, you know, off of the COVID nonsense. And then more recently um, we've done it in a more structured way. So we started doing, um, presentations from faculty and staff about just like inspiring or interesting things. So three weeks ago, one of our Chicano studies uh, faculty did a presentation called COVID at the border and was talking about um, the border and how COVID has affected um, travel in between and for our community at the border um, here in San Diego. It was awesome. And people were so engaged and had like over a hundred people just talking about these, these kind of issues. Then we had, um, one of our cinema faculty who does uh, an ongoing yoga series, she did a desktop yoga. So after we did this like very serious conversation, like, you know, COVID rates are increasing, stay at home, wear a mask, you know, and then we kind of shift to, okay, now with the community building piece, you okay. And the people were standing and doing neck rolls and whatever, you know, and in the chat, this is awesome, you know. And then last week we had somebody who uh, is a, uh, is a resident at this kind of interesting historical park that's still open. And they did this very interesting, this woman who's an anthropologist and historian did like a virtual tour through the park and some history and it's in, in North County. So it's something that's still open during the pandemic. And so just, you know, very different kinds of things. But again, for me, it was just emblematic of uh, how I hope to be as a leader, which is, you know, taking things very seriously, leading with data, providing the structure and communication so people know what's going on and what they can expect, and then leaving a time for community and, you know, sometimes silliness, sometimes learning, but um, just, you know, 
that the kind of package. So for me, that meeting is like perfect for my the style of leadership I aspire to anyway. Oh, that's great. And yeah. I can imagine, I can imagine years from now, many years into the future, <laughs> right. when you're mentoring up and coming presidents. Okay. And, I like your attitude. Yeah, okay. sure, yeah. <laughs> And you'll be, you know, like really expressing, then they'll be like, Dr. Khan, what was it like in the pandemic? How did you do <laughs> right. that? And you'd be like, well, you can't forget that human connection. Right. And, and I'll have the stories. You should make yeah. sure you do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Sure. But and then, I do think it, you know, and it's not enough, but the more of those kind of things you can do, the better. Because as you know, the Zoom thing, you just get burned out so quickly. And um, even though obviously this was on Zoom, but just providing an opportunity for things that are not explicitly about workload issues and concerns about health and, you know, again, not to neglect those things, take them seriously, but, you know, providing the, yeah, more of the human side as well. Yeah. 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 Well, so that brings me to the next question. And that is, I, I, I haven't done these interviews yet, but I hope for the second half uh, in the new year mm-hmm. um, to interview some folks who are outgoing about to retire. or Oh, nice. Retired. Yeah. So I'm wondering what, what should I ask them? What do you want to know? Cause you're going to be listening. I know. Yeah, that is true. I will be listening. Um, what do I want to know? What would people want to know? I think I like questions where you say, what's something that surprised you throughout the years about your career that people don't know about the role or about community colleges. I like those kind of questions. Cause you know, uh, I think, um, you know, what sustained you in your role and, and kept you going, you know, given the stress and, and the kinds of things that you go through. You know, I think maybe selfishly, you know, how do you, how did you find community in the role? You know, I think uh, one thing that's difficult is unlike other areas, you don't have a, a cadre of people with your same job position at your job, unless I guess in a multi-college district you would, but in a single college district you don't. So besides mentoring or some of the obvious things, you know, how else did you get connected to others who could kind of relate to, you know, the the concerns that you have? Because there's so much you kind of have to, you know, either confidentially have to keep to yourself or, you know, you could share, but it's just awkward because of the role that you're in. So that would be interesting to know. That's great. Um, those are great. Yeah, I will ask those. Yeah. There you go. What else? <laughs> they are on the list. <laughs> on the list. Well, I am actually going to move us into a little bit of a lighter kind of, um, sure. uh, this has been super great, a little heavy on some parts, you know, but because we're in heavy times, sure. um, and these are heavy questions, but, uh, uh, so these are rapid fire. Don't think about it too much. Um, and if anything sparks your interest, we can, we can go down that road a little bit. Um, Favorite hot sauce? Okay, I'm not going to think about it that much, but I have been making them, as you know, and I know you have been too. So my favorite one recently is from the lemon ahi peppers from Peru originally, and they're super hot and they do have a little citrusy flavor and it's delicious. Nice, nice. My son is actually making the hot sauce. Oh, very nice. I, I I just provide the clean counter mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the, like that's a blender <laughs> that's those both of those items are necessary yeah 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 um what band or musician do you just never get tired of you could listen to them every day yeah and this one i can't remember i think last time i said sun house was a blues musician but i think i'll go with the ramones also because who gets tired of the ramones 
I mean, no one I know. You can't really. So I'll say the Ramones also. Excellent. excellent. Um, dessert. What is the most underrated dessert? Oh, the most underrated dessert. Wow. Uh, hmm. I really love key lime pie and you don't hear people talk about it that much. I think it's, a, it's awesome. And whenever I say I love key lime pie, people go, okay. You know, like it's not that much of a thing. It should be a thing. I, I, so I'm going with key lime pie. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, this is one of my favorites. Uh, uh, best $100 you ever spent. Best $100 I ever spent was when I was, when I finished my master's degree, um, this will be a music one and kind of funny too. And I, I just finished my master's degree and I was looking at discs, uh, CDs, and I saw that Misfits Coffin box set. Do you remember that one? Yes. And it was like, it was like $78 or something like that. And I never would buy it during graduate school. So I'm like, I can't afford this. And I was like, I have a master's degree now. I'm buying that Misfits box set. So I'm going to say Misfits box set, $78. Is it still worth it today? I know you've not, you're not that psyched on the Misfits. So you would say definitely not worth it. I'm not. I'm not. I know I, I lose some punk rock cred there. But Can you I listen really to Earth AD? That one specifically, that's your homework assignment. Okay, okay, I shall, I shall. Yeah. And there are some misfits, there's a couple that I yeah, like yeah, that are, yeah. that's the titles the are too rude to say on this. Um, some, yeah, maybe, some of them are not appropriate. Yeah, but And those are the ones I like, of course. Yeah. Um, but um, but I did just hear, uh, so there's a YouTube channel, Mikey and his uke. Uh, and it's this uh-huh. guy who does uke, punk rock ukulele covers. That's fun, how yeah. he started. But then now during COVID, he's, reached out to all these musicians and they're doing, and he's got like a nice mixer and they do a uh-huh. light video editing. And so he's doing really, really nice covers with people that you and I would either maybe know personally or like know of. That's so cool. like the singer of the dwarves was doing some, oh my goodness, uh, yeah. like a uh, sham 69 song or something like that. Right. Funny. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Folks and Pennywise and no effects. And, yeah. I have the answer to the book now. Sorry. It was 2009. Oh. See, I knew it was an older book. <laughs> it's older, I know. See all this gray hair, Naomi? Me too. I got it right yeah. here. <laughs> well, as we as we come to a close and, you know, reminisce about music, uh, <laughs> what um, are, are there any questions that I should have asked you, but I didn't? Anything that you wanted to talk about? Uh, I don't think so. I think in the short amount of time, you covered a lot of good stuff. And I, I just really appreciate, you know, the opportunity. Well, it's nice to just see you and hang out with you because I haven't done it in a while. So this is great, just kind of selfishly, but I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity um, and to, you know, just kind of talk a little bit about myself. But, you know, Again, I'm just very, I've been very fortunate this year because at the institution, our faculty and staff and administrators have just done so much great stuff. So I've really been able to just do a lot of look at that, look at that, look at that, you know, so uh, I've been very blessed by that and uh, to have those relationships and to see all that that cool stuff happening. So uh, thank you for this, you know, opportunity to share a little bit of it. And uh, I guess that's it. Oh, thank, thank you. you so much, Jack. One of my, honestly, one of my oldest friends on the planet. <laughs> it's so Agreed. nice to meet you. Yeah. And uh, I miss seeing you. And hopefully after this, we can resume our occasional 
uh, Torrance to San Diego, uh, you know, connections. I haven't seen your new place. I haven't yeah. seen Jackie since we hung out with Bob and saw that movie and ate it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's right. That, we saw, um, yeah. we went to see, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind in that uh, cemetery. Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's cool. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we will do that again in person. Sounds this, good. The vaccines are rolling out. So They're rolling out. Keep your fingers crossed. Uh, thank yeah. you very much. Thanks, Jack. Take, Take good care. care. Bye-bye. Dr. Khan tries to do everything with both seriousness and care, and he delivers. That's as true 35 years ago as it is today. Back in the day, we organized against apartheid, protested nuclear weapons, and together with a wonderful group of friends, we made great vegan food and homebrew. These days, whenever we catch up, we still talk music, food, and politics. All of the organizations and some of the bands Jack mentioned will be linked in the show notes. This season is all about transitions, and I'm making a list of leaders who have recently retired or who have announced their retirement. If you have some suggestions, please at me on Twitter at Naomi Castro P-R-O-F. So it turns out some folks have been using the interviews from season one in academic papers. That's pretty cool. But believe it or not, a podcast does not seem to have the same weight in a list of references as a book does. Some of you reached out and asked about citations and shared some of your frustrations. Well, I've got you covered. You can get the entire transcript from season one in book format. The link is on the Castro Pod webpage, and you can find it on Amazon. 